survive and thrive. This is a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but thrive in change. I'm your host and co-founder of Consinity, Jennifer Ayers. This season, my partners and I will walk you through eight tenets to drive meaningful, impactful, and sustainable change in an organization. We'll explore each of these tenets at a high level over eight weeks, and then we'll take a deeper dive into each one to really understand why it's important and how to put some of these principles into practice. We'll share some of our own personal experiences from the hundreds of clients we've helped and invite other professionals to our show to have them share their stories on what's worked, what's not worked, and what perspectives they can offer on the relevance of these tenants. I'm pretty excited today to have Lisa Inslee back, a partner of Consinity. For those of you that listened in on season one, you would have heard her voice helping me interview our Voiceify guest, Jason Fields. So welcome back, Lisa. I'm really excited to have you here to talk about our first of the eight tenants on the case for change. And uh, why don't you tell our listeners again a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Jennifer, for having me back on the podcast. My name is Lisa Inslee. I have a background in digital project and product management. I have worked in a number of different types of organizations. I've started my career in advertising agencies. I transitioned over to large enterprises. I've worked at small SaaS startups. And now, as you mentioned, I'm a partner at Consinity. Central to my career has always been the theme of digital transformation, although it took me a little bit of time to uh, realize that. I've also recognized that the formative years of my career have been steeped in times of significant change. In fact, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that much of my work has actually been on internal product work um, rather than consumer-facing products all the time. I think that's where a lot of my experience with change comes in and what makes me excited for this conversation today. Great. Awesome. Everybody who is hearing your fabulous background will be excited because you will be coming back on future podcasts to co-host and maybe be grilled again on some other topics that come to our minds in the future. So thank you. You talk about change and especially in the space that you've been in, you've observed a lot of change and, and observed a lot of companies that have had to go through change, especially as we talk about digital transformation. So what are your general observations about leading an organization through change? I've recognized that irrespective of the work you do, whatever work you're leading, there's always going to be this possibility to create change or the inevitability that your work will affect change. So with that, there's always this opportunity to lead others through change, especially if you're the one that's spearheading an initiative, leading up a project. If you can take hold of that opportunity to lead your organization through the change, your chances of success are, are going to be that much higher. That's an important aspect that I've learned through my career, but I didn't necessarily know up front or early on that there was such a thing as change management. So that was part of my learning curve throughout my career so far. You didn't really know that there actually was any kind of formal discipline on helping organizations through change, sometimes described as change management. 
but you probably had experiences where you went through a change and it was a positive experience. Can you talk a little bit about that and what made it work? Absolutely. So interestingly, uh, at my time at RGA, which is a prominent advertising agency, they have this culture, they have this, this norm of reinventing itself every nine years. And they've done that since their inception uh, in 1970. They started off m- more in film and eventually grew into a prominent digital advertising agency and then a full service shop. And what I found um, interesting and positive in terms of a change experience was that being part of RGA, you knew that every nine years there was going to be a massive transformation. I don't know what the average tenure is for employees at an ad agency and how many people really experience that more than once while being at RGA. But the fact that it was a known part of the culture and it was expected and anticipated was quite interesting. And it made the scale of the evolutions that they would make much more successful and put a lot more energy in their workforce behind that transformation. It was part of what you really believed made RGA stay at the forefront of advertising and made it relevant as an advertising agency for so long. And what was interesting is they always did it from a position of strength. So they were never reinventing themselves because they were trying to make a comeback necessarily or come out of a struggling situation. They were constantly making sure that on this regular cycle, they always were inspecting, adapting, and thinking about what needed to be delivered in the market. Um, I'm not suggesting that what made that work was that they did make these massive changes at a certain time scale, but I, <laughs> what, what did like not, I'm not I'm not trying to say everyone has to make these huge changes on a on a regular time frame, but what made it work was the predictability of the change, knowing it was coming, and having this deep ingrained understanding of the rationale behind the change. And I remember the last big town hall I, I joined while working there was knowing, anticipating, and being really excited about what was going to be revealed for that next nine years of RGA. Two things that come to my mind once is uh, now change is constant. So if we haven't, if we've learned anything from the pandemic, that uh, the one thing that is consistent is that change will happen, then maybe they're onto something there. You know, one thing you mentioned was the rationale and having a rationale behind it. So that sort of lends me to go into our specific topic and our tenant for our uh, one of our eight tenants on what we think creates sustained and lasting and positive change on the case for change. So I'm curious then in your own words or in your own experience, how can leaders build a compelling case for change and why is it important? First and foremost, you really need to make sure when you're building a case for change that you've identified the core problem or problems and that you're able to articulate the pain that's felt and by whom. You need to be able to communicate what the impact of that problem and that pain is having. And it is the catalyst to say, okay, we need to do something differently. And it needs to be shared in a relatable as possible way. What's the potential future. What could that look like? That's what you want buy-in on. That's interesting. Can you share an example of a compelling case for change in your own experience and how that resonated with uh, the organization? Yes. So I 
was working at a company in the consumer packaged goods space, um, a global organization that had acknowledged there was a need to bring their brands up to parity or be winning in the digital space as compared to their competitors. They were, they were just behind. And one of the key reasons that was identified for this was the inability for our brands to deliver websites for their consumers. In fact, this was back in 2011, the majority of brands at this organization did not have mobile-friendly websites. And that was at a time when mobile traffic to brand websites was starting to exceed 50%. So it was becoming a real problem for the business. And one of the, the key barriers to creating mobile-first website experiences or web experiences in general was the barrier of cost and time. So the brands, they didn't have the budget and they didn't have the resources internally and the skill sets internally to be able to actually uh, create these websites. And, and often working through an agency was just cost prohibitive, especially for those brands in different regions and smaller markets. We were able to put together that case around the impact that having this lack of access and lack of ability to deliver a core experience for a brand at this time, we were able to easily communicate and empathize and, and have a conversation with brand marketers and all over the world about why this was so challenging and why this was so difficult and what it was doing to their business in terms of hampering it. And that resonated really clearly with the, the stakeholders that we were working with. And we were careful not to get too much into the weeds in terms of how we were going to address the pain, but we talked about the pain, we talked about the impact, and we talked about what a better future could look like for our brands to have best-in-class websites, irrespective of the size of their brand or their budget or where they were located geographically. That's a great example. And it hits sort of the I say sort of the three fundamentals that should be included in developing a case for change. And one of those is not just about describing the pain or in your scenario, but describing the reason for change. So one, what is the current situation? Two, what is the reason that you feel there is a change? Or as you said, describing the pain points. And three, what does that future state look like? What could it look like? when we are in a different state. That's a great example. Thank you for sharing that. Conversely, I'm thinking, when might you have had an experience where you went through a change where perhaps that was missing, that that case for change, and it wasn't the best experience? Sure. When the change is purely about cost-cutting and cost efficiencies, which, let's be honest, are completely reasonable and necessary in business, there's always a high risk of that experience being negative because ultimately you're removing an investment somewhere and there's a risk of interpretation that someone or something being done is is not of value. So for me, at a Fortune 100 company I worked at, there was a massive change rolled out across the enterprise related to how travel and expenses were handled as well as how procurement processes were going to be overhauled. The rationale for it was obvious and it also... Like I said, it makes logical sense. You know that the business is always going to be looking at ways that they can better use their funds and make investments and that we wanted to operate in a way that was more thoughtful about how we spent the money. 
the branding of the approach for change was catchy and it was flashy. The rationale, like I said, obvious. There was a lot of training on how to navigate the new process. But what was amiss at the center of all of this and what didn't work well was the piece around considering what the new experience would be like and how it would actually improve the work on the front lines for people working in the parts of the organization that were far removed from the corporate group defining that experience. So the implication was, okay, we're doing this because we want to save the company money, but now the implication is that my job and my colleagues' jobs with respect to connecting with them in other locations, for example, it was a very uh, matrix environment where relationships were key, which meant travel was key at that point in time, or even the work it took to secure the right partners to be hired to work on projects all became 10, 20 times harder. So we've saved money in certain line items, but now I feel that myself and my colleagues can't deliver or do my job, which impacts performance, which impacts the outcomes for our business. So to what end are we saving the company money? So I think my learning from that experience, that negative experience was to make sure that while there's really logical rationale we can put around cost cutting and cost efficiencies, it's also important to think about what other parts of the case can be centered around the people aspect of all of it, because that can often uh, be left aside and then feels very counterintuitive to the recipients or the people experiencing the change compared to that logical, rational, cost-cutting case. You know, I'm thinking as I'm hearing you talk that they're one of your expertise is in employee experience, and this would seem to be a, a no-duh requirement to create a better employee experience for any kind of transformation that your business might be going through, just being able to articulate the vision where you're going, why you're going there. I don't think these things are left off the table or not considered for lack of, you know, having positive will and 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 trying to impact positive change. I, I just think that sometimes we tend to use one side of our brain and think really logically, but we leave out the people aspect of it. And that would be a nice thing for us all to think about a bit more. You know, I even see, I mean, this this is hard for large scale organizations to navigate, but seeing it even in the emerging space, especially when uh, an early, early stage company goes out into the market and they have one vision and the mark for whatever reason, the market changes and they suddenly have to pivot and they have to, it can be really hard for them to kind of pull together that case for change. But it, it, it's so important to make sure that you have your people rallying behind you in order to stay resilient. Oh, absolutely. You know, you mentioned earlier what my observations were about change. Um, in my own words, what's a compelling case for change? I think there's a risk that as leaders, we don't focus much on coaching future leaders to identify what change is occurring, whether that's coming from the inside or what's influencing us from the outside. And when we don't do this, we're just continuously not only reducing the likelihood of success of future leaders, but we're not helping them to identify the fact that there is change and that there is something you can do about it as part of the overall work you're doing. It doesn't have to be super academic or process oriented, but I, I don't think that's something that we develop early enough in our leaders. And 
it shows. And I think that that can be a way that we improve employee experience in the future as, as the next generation comes up into leadership roles. I like that. And one other aspect to building a case for change is to get the leaders in your organization aligned behind that change and be ultimately becoming a champion for that change. And uh, that that is can be a very significant undertaking. So for all of our listeners out there, if you think you have this really cool, awesome idea in your organization and you want to promote your project, uh, give yourself ample time to win over the hearts and minds of the leaders that you might be impacting and build your case. Take, take the time to build the case first. In our first season, we discovered sort of the number one theme that we heard over and over again was about resiliency. That's one big theme that came out of it. And I'm curious to get your opinion on how a case for change or developing a good case for change can help support an organization's effort. I love this question. When people in an organization felt heard and understood, when they feel that there is earnest empathy behind the change, they're far more likely to band and work together and find the energy to stay motivated through the change that's happening. So that gets you to a place where there is tremendous potential for resiliency versus some of the adverse effects of change, which could be disengagement or disenfranchisement. And so the case is the story that you can use to band together and motivate people and rally behind the change and actually co-own the change. I think that's all I think that's the the crux of helping the organization be resilient through what can sometimes be very, very difficult change. Another word that comes to my mind as I think about building a case for change is empathy. What do you think about that when I say that? When I throw that curveball out there? Acknowledging the change that's happening. And doing something about it is one of the best ways to showcase empathy as an organization. I think it can be really challenging for companies and organizations and leaders to authentically show and follow through on being empathetic when you can acknowledge what changes are occurring and how that's impacting people and have a real conversation about that and guide them through the change. It's one of the greatest ways you can show empathy beyond all sorts of other things that make employees feel appreciated. Great point. Great point. And I, I was thinking of it also as important to have empathy as you're developing your case for change because it is just about being aware or have an awareness of how the impacts might affect the organization positively or negatively. And the message might still be the same either way, but just it can help you downstream, as you said, you know, relate to your organization and, and get some buy-in from your organization. So exactly. Very cool. I've just enjoyed us navigating through this exploration of the importance of developing a case for change. You know, what would you say to a company that is trying to do this, trying to put together a case for change? What maybe in your words are important elements that we want to make sure that are included in that description? The first word that comes to mind is transparency. And the second two words that come to mind are, are healthy urgency. 
transparency because you're going to build a lot more trust and respect by being transparent about what's happening and why and uh, reasonable urgency because if you don't address head on the change that's happening and why and all of the the rest of the case around that your organization is going to fill in the blanks and they're going to fill in the blanks differently and the impact of that can be quite substantial in a negative way. Ooh, well put. Well put. Awesome. Great. Well, this has been great to spend this time to explore our first tenant of our eight. And we're going to bring some guests in in the not too distant future as we get through these eight. And here are some other experiences that uh, professionals have gone through in doing this exact thing, trying to lead their organizations through change and what worked and what didn't work. So thank you so much, Lisa, for coming back on this podcast with me and not being scared after our first time doing our session some weeks ago. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. I would love to be back. Great. Well, we will definitely have you back and you'll be probably grilling me with questions next time. So. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> awesome. Uh, anyway, thanks everyone for listening and joining this episode of Survive and Thrive podcast. Remember at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Take care. <laughs>